everybody, and welcome back to another very special episode of the Galaxy Geekdom Podcast. I am one of your amazing co-hosts. Co- uh, co-hosts. Sorry about that. Uh, and my name is Crystal, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm here with my amazing and talented and lovely co-hosts, Lizzie and Jazzy. Hello. I am Jazzy, uh, she, they. I am Lizzie, she, her. And we are excited to be back for another installment of our uh, Sunset series. We're going to through... say, can I just say, after watching this fucking movie, I am regretting this entire <laughs> fucking marathon. I, I, I'm just gonna dive right into it. I did not fucking like New Moon at all. I, I was, I was nice to the first one, but holy shit, New Moon! I thought we were watching Old Sun. Fuck you. Why are you always going to be out here with the dad jokes, Crystal? Uh, because I I don't know. I, I look for validation in other people's laughter. It's because you're a lesbian. I have this theory that the lesbians are appropriating dad culture. I mean, that explains me. I always tell lame jokes. You can ask my girlfriend, so. Okay, I, I can see that. So yeah, I'm New so- Moon was New Moon was fucking shit. <laughs> it is my least favorite book and movie. And it yeah. and for context, um this was a lot more painful than the first film. You know, there's a reason why it was painful because the first film while it was kind of meandering, at least you could make an argument that it was spending most of its time trying to build up this relationship and that was the point of it until a conflict was just inserted in for the last 30 minutes for the sake of it. Here, nothing fucking happened. This was two hours of fucking nothing. Oh, and a lot of shirts. They went on a trip to Italy. Oh, yeah, and then Michael Sheen showed up and and was, like, the only actor who was injecting energy into this. Uh, you'll, You'll notice that throughout the series. Like, I'll say that right now. My biggest positive of New Moon is that Michael Sheen was fucking awesome. He was hilarious. I loved him. Michael Ooh. Sheen was like, yes, I'm just going to eat this entire underground marble room. Yeah, he's like, I am going to chew the scenery. Um, There is a moment in a later film, which is um, peak him, and it's beautiful and i don't oh, want to spoil a, anything i'm so fucking hyped because people have told me like that yeah there this is not the last time seeing this character and i'm so fucking happy like like so far him and mustache dad are my favorite parts of um twilight and you are correct um this film okay so the biggest thing in new moon is that it was so the plot of this one, or at least what counts as a plot, is that Edward breaks up with Bella because he and his family need to go hide somewhere else because vampire shit. Um, and then she starts spending more time with this other guy who I think was in the first film, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> and then we spend the next hour or so appropriating a real-life Native American tribe to make them werewolves and present this idea that they're all inherently violent by nature, which, holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit. Holy shit. So you can tell a white person wrote this, right? You can so tell a white person. (laughs) Oh my god, you can tell 
that a white Mormon wrote this. This is so fucking white. Jesus. Oh my God. It's like, and it's weird because, okay, I'll say this. And I'll also say this. And I know I say this now, but I know for a fact that based on what people are telling me, I am going to take this back as soon as we watch Eclipse. I didn't mind Jacob. I thought he was all right for what he was. I thought he was an okay character. He was actually a bit likable. Yes. I In can't... the new moon, Jacob mm. is very likable. Jacob is very sweet. Um, up I until kind a point. Of, I, up until a point. I greatly dislike what they do. Because here's the thing. that The best of Jacob in this mm. whole franchise is that, like, 10-minute montage of the like month he and Bella spent fixing the motorcycle. Yeah. Right. Um, like she, like, like <laughs> Kristen Stewart and Taylor Lautner actually had some decent screen chemistry, which surprised me. Oh no. They were good friends while filming to my understanding. Um, but it, so that's the thing, right? Is Jacob before he turns into a werewolf is so sweet. Mm-hmm. And you, I, and you like him a lot. And that is the most endeared to Team Jacob I get throughout the whole franchise. Because even in this movie, after he turns into a werewolf, he just turns into a dick. Yeah, I'll admit, he was kind of a dick. I mean, I still didn't mind the character overall, because I was kind of getting this impression of, okay, he's going through this transformation, it's probably making him angsty as fuck, I kind of, maybe it's a puberty thing, I don't fucking know how werewolves work. <laughs> like one thing, except we don't ever get a, a semblance of Jacob's old personality back. Right. Here's here's what Just I predict. Just that angsty throughout the rest of the movie, and I never get a glimpse of the, the guy that I liked. Right. I mean, I thought he was fine for most of this movie. Um, I'm going to say right now, though, I have a prediction of what's going to happen. And since you guys have seen this movie before, don't tell me if I'm right, but I'm pretty sure you're going to snicker if I am right here. My prediction is that back when this book, um, and by extension the movie, came out, um, a lot of people who read it ended up really liking Jacob and considered him a preferable romance option for Bella over Edward. So, and Stephanie Meyer did not like that. So I'm going to guess in Eclipse... They're going to make him super fucking unlikable because instead, like, in order to try and drive people back to Edward, because I noticed this with shitty romances like this, where if people are preferring the option the author does, the author doesn't want to make canon, instead of just making the option they're going to make canon better, they make the option people prefer worse, because that's how a lot of shitty writing works. Uh, again, don't tell me if I'm right. I know I am. Because I, I I I smell bullshit a mile away, but cough cough Gilmore Girls cough cough. <laughs> um, oh God, no! I'm. It's I'm weird. I, I I'm pretty certain I did see Eclipse, but I don't remember a single goddamn thing from it. So I remember uh, everything about Eclipse. Don't right. you worry, Crystal. I remember Twilight and New Moon, and then that's, okay, so. I, and I remember like like one little moment in Breaking Dawn Part Two, and then my mind is blank. 
Okay, so the thing I also noticed about New Moon is it feels like there's no real story going on. It just feels like stuff happens, and it's always out of nowhere. Like, you, you, so you have the bit where Jacob's being an angsty fuck, which for which is revealed later on to be because he's a vampire. But after this moment Werewolf. where he's an angsty or werewolf, fuck, I am so tired today. I am sorry. I'm confusing. He's character. a vampwolf. He's a <laughs> okay. So he's a werewolf. So um, and then. Out of nowhere, the fucking black guy, the black vampire from uh, the first movie oh, comes Laurent, in. right? Yeah, Laurent. I can't remember these fuckers' names. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, and suddenly he's like, I'm here to kill you. <laughs> Which feels out of nowhere, considering I thought he was, like, done being evil at the, like, at the end of the first movie, I think? Well, it's not so much that he was done being evil. Um, as much as he was like, I'm not going to win this fight against, he saw that from the get, and he's like, I'm not going to win a fight against this much bigger and objectively more powerful coven, Mm -hmm. and he bounced. Yeah, and then they just kill him off unceremoniously, which, wow, what a very compelling character you had here, Stephanie. Wasn't he he supposed to? That's going to come that's going to come back in a really empty and uninter- and unfulfilling retconned way <laughs> in the fourth oh, ex- one. Oh, I'm excited. Um, it, wasn't he also, like, white in the book? Wasn't there, yes. like, a whole controversy where Stephanie Meyer specifically didn't want a diverse, more diverse cast for the films? Yeah, that exact, well, exactly that. Because yeah. according to Stephanie Meyer's mythos, and this comes quite a bit, honestly, from her Mormon upbringing... Um, according to Stephanie Meyer's mythos, uh, when you turn into a vampire, um, all of the melanin disappears from your body. Okay, that's problematic as fuck. Yeah, it is. Oh, no, it's uh, racist as fuck. I mean. <laughs> um, but here's the, here's the thing. Like, just, I don't know. It, it's, God, I may not like something like The Hunger Games or its respective movies, but at least Suzanne Collins didn't throw, as far as I know, didn't throw up bitch fit when they turned a few characters black in the movies i mean that's well, that's apparently what happened they, with this so they did kind of whitewash katniss in those movies but that's a whole other that's an entirely separate conversation yeah yeah there's a dip there's different issues with the hunger games but, but that's, also, a whole, that's a whole another franchise the casting director wanted to make alice asian um like, uh, i think like, at least oh. one i don't remember which one and i Oh, jeez. Like, what's worse? What's, like, I don't, it's like, oh, my God. Ugh, these movies are so fucking white. They are. The presence of the weird, appropriative, racist depiction of the Native American tribe only makes it feel whiter. Yeah, just, oh, God, like, I... I gotta tell you, the live tweet I did of this film was not nearly as um, meaty as I want to say as the one I did for Twilight. Okay, you but... seem to have fallen into because I was reading through it. You do seem to have fallen into the pitfall mistake that some people make when they've only seen the movie and not read the book for New Moon. Um, mm. Edward's not astral projecting; she's hallucinating. But the movie made it seem like it was astral projection, even like near the end, like it was like. Yeah, it's the so vague. Had, it doesn't. It doesn't really say. The thing is, in the book, it is explicitly just a voice in her head. Okay, so 
But in the in the movie, they wanted to give Robert like they were paying a lot of money to Robert Pattinson for this movie. They wanted him to. Right, and this is like the one Edwards barely in, so. Yeah. So, that was a what they concocted um, to have to give Robert Pattinson more screen time. But you're right; it makes it confusing. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing that was really fucking annoying about this movie. At the beginning, they really keep emphasizing Romeo and Juliet. Like, they really slap you over the face with the scene from Romeo and Juliet where Romeo thinks Juliet is dead and is going to kill himself. And immediately I caught on, they're going to do something similar by the end of this movie. And lo and behold, I was fucking right. I I was reading that thread and I, I was like, I think I only tweeted in response the eyes emoji because I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, I have, these movies are so transparent in what they're trying to do that it's kind of annoying to me. Like, it's it, like, I, <laughs> this movie was just bad. I did, I, again. Well, the first three Twilight books are all meant to be, um in a way, According to Stephanie Meyer, um, inspired by different works of like great romantic literature. Yes, but there's a fine line between being inspired by something and beating you over the head with the with it being an analogy for it. Well, it's bad, is the thing. Like at right. least so, like Eclipse is my. I'm I have this hot take on Twilight that is a very unpopular opinion amongst Twilight fans, which is that Eclipse has actually always been my favorite. Oh boy. Okay. Um, no one agrees with me. Most people think that Eclipse is the most boring one, and I don't know. I don't know, I'm just like that. But I, I think my personal theory is because um, Eclipse is the one that's based on Wuthering Heights, which is one of my favorite books. Okay. And it's also, it works better because it's not like in New Moon where they will not stop throwing Romeo and Juliet at your head to a point where it doesn't feel like you're thematically trying to echo Romeo and Juliet. It feels no, like it be- screaming at the audience. No, they weren't screaming at the audience. They were beating them over the head with sledgehammers with the, with the fucking with a fucking copy of Romeo and Juliet attached to them. <laughs> Going, do you get it now? <laughs> uh, have I so, mentioned this movie is awful? Yeah, I, I I tried to warn you. This one was worse. <laughs> right, like it, I couldn't even get a lot of funny bad content out of it, aside oh. from the bit with um. Michael Sheen, like, okay. Let's, I, talk, let's talk about Bella going into breaking up with her high school boyfriend and going into a comatose state. Oh my yeah, god, that was so four pathetic. months. And that was pathetic. No one gets her any psychiatric help. Right. It's in the book. There's an attempt. There's a single attempt, and then they give up, which is all, which is bad by still bad parenting. But at least in the book, they name drop an attempt. In the movie, it's straight up just, you're having night terrors. Right, and Charlie's just like, <laughs> like, like Charlie's immediate, like, solution after months of this shit is just, okay, I'm just going to send you back to live with your mother. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure that'll help, but genius. <laughs> coming from he's like you're not yeah, he knows that it's she the only reason she doesn't want to leave is because she wants edward to come back and i so i see where he's coming from in the perspective of being here is not helping you right that's fair actually uh, but he could have fought harder <laughs> on yeah that. um 
The it's yeah. So there, are, in terms of what was funny bad about this movie that I was able to get laughs at, um, one was Michael Sheen. Like he, he was just hamming it the fuck up, and God bless him for it. Um, Some of the line deliveries got me. Um, Ghost Edward was fucking hilarious. Like the effect was so fucking bad. <laughs> and you, um, and there was also the scene where like. At, Bella and the Anna Kendrick character got out from seeing a movie, I think. And, like, Anna Kendrick's just kind of babbling on and on about nonsense. And as she's saying these lines, Anna Kendrick has this look. Like, she's wondering, what the fuck am I talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And it's the best fucking thing ever. I mean, credit where credit's due, she does show that she's a good performer of the material. It's just not very good material. Yeah, Anna, uh, Kendrick, <laughs> Anna Kendrick came out of those movies pretty clean. She did. Um, yeah. And I I think it's because people forget that she's in the that she was in those movies. Like <laughs> I mean she's I, such a small role. I think yeah it did. I think it gave her a big acting credit that got her mm-hmm. more work after in industry. But people, but the public doesn't really remember that she's in it, right. so people don't uh, didn't immediately associate it with her post Twilight. Right. When I talk about people, when if you talk to people and what they remember Anna Kendrick for, chances are pe- are gonna are people people are either gonna say Scott Pilgrim or Pitch Perfect. So, like that um, seems to be also Into the Woods a little bit. Oh yeah, she was in Into the Woods, wasn't she? I can I forgot actually. Up in the air as well with George Clooney. So, right. yeah, it's, the point is, people don't remember she was in Twilight, so. What were you saying, Lizzie? I think Up in the Air, that was before Twilight, wasn't it? Um, Maybe it was in the middle. Uh, let's, I'm looking it up right now. 2009. was, okay, it was during, while they were, it was the same time as New Moon. Okay. So it was, a, it was in the middle of it, yeah. Okay. That was a good movie. <laughs> um, good also, also, I'm really starting to grow to hate Bella as a character. I wasn't a fan of her in the first movie, but this one, oh, I did not like her. They don't really give you much to grasp it, on to her as a character. Right. It's like, so at the beginning of this movie, you have this whole deal continuing off with the last one where she wants to, she wants Edward she wants Ed Boy to turn her into a vampire. And she's so ins- she's so insistent on this. Um, um, and then, like, by the end of the movie, there's this whole deal of, oh, she's a human who knows about vampires. We can't have this. But, um, you know... If if you were to turn her into a vampire, it could be a okay. So, oh, how convenient that the protagonist gets exactly what she wants with no consequences to her. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just the right. I don't know what I'm hating more, the character or the writing at this point. <laughs> Maybe both. Probably both. <laughs> well, it introduces its own. Here's here, okay. I have always, again, I've always liked how this ultimately got handled in Eclipse. 
Um, I don't like how it turned out, but from a writing, like a narrative perspective, I was like, so it both solves and doesn't solve a, solve the conflict, right? Because it's like Bella being a vampire is a foregone conclusion. So it forces a little bit more internal character conflict when they aren't externally fighting about the end goal of she's going to be a vampire. Mm-hmm. So it allows for a little bit more internal back and forth about um, what she really wants out of it and how she and Edward are going to move forward with their lives and what Edward actually wants for her and what Jacob wants for her. Um, None of this is actually good, but it's potential. It's there. It's it's weird because Twilight has stuff that I always see that's potentially interesting. Like there was this whole thing where they explain Carlisle's backstory in this movie about how he used to be part of the Volturi, I think the name of the group was? Volturi, yeah. Yay, I got it right. Um, But, like, he then decided he didn't want to kill people, so this vampire, a creature normally associated with ending lives, now works to be a doctor to save lives. I find that so fuck... Tell me that premise is not fucking interesting, a vampire doctor... So here is uh, an important detail, is that um, Carlisle Cullen has never, never eaten people. Right. Even when he was living with the Volturi, he wasn't doing that. Um, And that actually makes it funny. It creates this fantastic imagery of the fact that Aro kept Carlisle around because he wanted to, like, (laughs) test his resolve. Oh, right. And it begs even more questions to me, about Carlisle's weird morality. Because, okay, you're not personally killing anybody, but you're standing there letting hundreds of people die in front of you every single day. Right, and that kind of happens again at the end of the movie with, like, Edward and Bella's... Edward and Bella's stupid actions leading to a bunch of people getting killed to cover up vampires because... Including a small child. Yeah, because a small child saw Edward shine, which I th- that confused me because like, why would someone look at a shiny person and think he's a vampire? Like in this universe, is like, is the fact that vampires sparkle like common knowledge? Like how we know, like in vampire lore, we know in like in our own world that vampires die by a wooden stake in the heart or whatever. Like, is that is that like what vampire sparkling is in? this fucking in the the context of this story this speaks to something like no i don't know no one's i don't i don't imagine people looking at a sparkly dude and thinking oh shit vampire run (laughs) (laughs) um would you be concerned about seeing a sparkly dude no, I just say, babe, work it. <laughs> um, there was, uh, so basically my experience going through this movie is that it was way, way more tedious and I agree with you. Um, but I wanted to bring around something while we while I've been thinking about it. I've been hyper focusing on the sequence and I have no idea. Oh, there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up. In terms of the negative, I'll start with. The fucking product placement was the funniest shit I've ever seen in a movie. 
Do you did you notice like some of the product placement? I didn't actually. Okay, you know when like um I keep completely forget the other dude's name, but um but when Jacob Bella and and the dude go to the see that movie together and the rest of the group Mike Mike, thank Good you. Mike. Okay, so there's a scene where they're talking, Mike and, I think it's Mike and Mike and Jacob talking to each other, or is it, no, it's Bella and Jacob talking. Uh, I, 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 I'm forgetting who was talking, even though I saw it last night mainly because I was hyper-focusing on the fact that behind Jacob on a trash can in full view in both, both angles that they cut to is a Burger King bag. That's, you can clearly see the logo. They make sure that it's in focus, in frame, in every single fucking shot. Yeah, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one who noticed this, right? No. I remember, uh, I, I remember I didn't, being seven and noticing it. I didn't notice, but I was just kind of bored, so. I was like, I'm sorry. I was kind of laughing to myself just at that. And then can we talk for a second of something hilarious to me? In this boring movie, I had to hyper-focus on something. And I, I hyper-focused on not only the product, product placement, but the fucking movie that they go see is called Face Punch. Um, I remember that, and I did get a laugh out of that. I, I laughed because that scene, like, at the... Them talking about the movie was like, did they just make that fucking name up on the spot? It's it like, feels like she did. It's like, yeah, face, yeah, just face, face punch. punch. And then the other guy's like, yeah, it's where that guy, you know, just punches that guy in the face. <laughs> and I'm just, I was, I was so you're like, forgetting, like. You're forgetting what the rom-com was called. What was it called? Love spelled backwards is love. <laughs> focusing on the sounds of the movie as opposed to the scene when they're in the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, I, I I remember during the movie theater bit, it kind of reminded me of how in the game Persona 5, if you go to see a movie in the movie theater, you hear audio from a fake movie and it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I was kind of reminded of that, so... It was but, like, you know, like, you put your gun down or blow your freaking head off. No, you put your gun down or... <laughs> I'm wondering which voice actors they got for this fucking fate for this fucking face punch deal. And then they use the very um, <laughs> uh, the standard scream audio clip, you know, like uh, yeah, they used a Wilhelm scream. Was it Wilhelm scream? Okay. Yeah, they did. It was a Wilhelm. Which was um h- hilarious to me. I'm sorry. I know it's not really that important, but I hyper focused on it to the fact that I even noticed that there's a poster. For the movie, for Face Punch, right behind the Burger King bag. I'm also low-key, it bothers me just a bit that what they went to see was an action movie and not a horror movie. Why? why? I don't know, because the whole gimmick is supposed to be that Mike is, um... Queasy? Queasy. And I'm like, do action movies, like, I don't know, maybe I just haven't seen, like, like I guess some, like, good R-rated ones from the 80s, but I don't feel like action movies tend to be 
graphically cool. violent enough to invoke that and evoke that in people the same way that like a good horror movie would especially like, having it be a horror movie would be just, just i don't know that would just feel thematically funnier in twilight mm. but because it's twilight and because it's kind of bad to me it's funnier that it's not one it's face punch it's face punch and there's a poster in fucking my stupid ass is like trying to research if that ever the image of that fake poster actually exists somewhere i cannot seem to fucking find it so i was looking up the cast in new moon and i just just to see if there were any odd names especially in the extras um apparently the biker that bella gets a ride from is played by an ant by a voice actor who i recognize for a few anime which Oh, okay. Uh, Michael Adamthwaite, um, who I'm mainly known for playing the short-lived but still memorable character of Ray Penber in Death Note. Okay. So, there you huh. go. A guy from Death Note was in Twilight. There's how you connected to my interests. <laughs> Always somehow. Look, I just, I just find these connections, okay? <laughs> Um, I actually really, I do though, I quite enjoy the scenes in Italy because they're pretty. They're the most visually interesting exactly. scenes in the movie. They're like the, they're the, they're the prettiest scenes in the movie. They're the best shot because they actually, they go, cause that's really, they're actually in Italy, right? Like Right, right. Like, and the thing is like most of this movie looked very cheap, like, yes, exactly. The rest of the movie is so un, like, so uncreatively shot. And then we mm -hmm. get to in Italy, and they're like, okay, let's take advantage of the beautiful place we're in. Like, thanks. You know you can make you can make Washington look beautiful, too, right? Like, it's not hard. Not at all. Like, you, you, like I'll say, like, the first film at least had an interesting look to it. It, it was trying, so. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying last time, right, is that people really love Catherine Hardwick, not necessarily direction, her direction in the first one. And it's not, and I'm underwhelmed because it's not very good, but the reason people hype it up, hype her up so much is because it's the only movie in this franchise where the direction is interesting. Right. Like, she made creative decisions. The rest of the, everything, it feels... Like, it's not incompetent, but the direction in all the rest of the movies, it's standard, it's boring, it's uncreative, it doesn't do anything to help tell the story, it just kind of is very basic, it's a lot of very basic medium shots of these characters standing around and talking. Oh, shit, I just realized, I just realized why the younger Volturi member, um, um, I'm looking him up now. The character's name is Caius. He looks so familiar to me, and I didn't follow up on it. And now I remember why. He was fucking um, Anthony and Sweeney Todd. So, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes this... That, that's Why do the Volturi the, get the best fucking actors? Because not only do you have Michael Sheen and... Um, and uh, what's Dakota his guy's name? Uh, Jamie Campbell Bauer. You also have Dakota Fanning. So... <laughs> This is, these are my favorite characters now. Yeah, and they will continue to be. <laughs> Wait, is Dakota in the other ones? Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, she's the girl who looks at Robert Pattinson and goes, pain. 
No, I know who she. I know who she is. I just, I just, I just didn't know if she would be in the follow-up ones. I forgot. Uh, like I said, there's so much of this this franchise that is completely wiped from my memory. Um. But I, it sounds like. It sounds like you all just like love this film. It's like the best film so far. Huh? Oh yeah, um, spectacular. E- uh, Crystal, eat shit. Um, not not right now, thank you. <laughs> it it's a wild ride of a movie, and, and I'm sorry that my contributions to it are hype because I was so bored. I was focusing on the fake movies in it. I wanted to see Face Punch. More than I wanted to see this movie. I'll put it like that. Um, um, let's touch also a little bit on the more more on the um situation with the the Quileute, the Native American Quileute uh, tribe. Oh, the fun stuff. Racism. I would like to point out. I know one of the things that insults people the most, and New Moon in specific, is that it's a big plot point that the boys have to cut their hair. Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that shit. <laughs> I've heard I've heard native people discuss how how especially offensive that part is, and so I just kind of wanted to highlight it because I agree. <laughs> yeah, the thing I focused on more was just the cultural appropriation, as well as the fact that they downright said that this tr- that these this group of people who are based on a who are based on a real North Native American real Native American tribe are inherently violent people. Who need to suppress their vi- fuck their off. Vice urges, and we put the we put these characters who are supposed to be ages ranging like fifteen to like twenty three. So these we have these like children, we have these fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year old boys um, walking around in what is explicitly meant to be these heightenedly aged bodies that are aged up to twenty five. That allows us to kind of gross, grossly over-sexualize um, these Native American boys, which is creepy and gross. Um, let gross. us also point out, um, this is not necessarily Taylor Lautner's fault. He was 15 when he was cast in these movies. Um, Taylor Lautner is white. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, and they've got him playing a Native American. So that's that's its own problem. Um, and I think I'm going to mention this going forward on each podcast where we talk about this, because I think it's important. Um, the Quileute tribe, the actual Quileute tribe in Washington um, is currently f- raising money to move their school to higher ground because they're at a massive tsunami risk where they are right now due to climate change. Oh, shit. Um, so... I would encourage people who can to donate money to that movement. Um, I'm going to ask that we put the link for that underneath. Uh, this yeah, I can do that. Yeah, because yeah. that's. No, actually, not, yeah, you're, you're right. We should definitely put that up. Because I don't mind doing that. Has, uh, raised, has made millions upon millions of dollars off of the um, appropriation and, and demonization of their culture and has given absolutely none of that money to them. So I think that when we talk, when we when we make such a deal to talk about it, that we should also. Uh, yeah, that. no, no, you're right, Liz. Liz, that's really important. Um, I will definitely put the link below so you can donate if you can. It would be. It's only it's only right that we do that. Yeah. Considering yeah. we're talking about this work that 
is uh, deeply offensive in a lot of ways. <laughs> so in terms of where I'd score this one out of 10, and I don't know if we're, we'd be wrapping it up unless we have anything to say, but I'll just say my score now just for the sake of it. Uh, so I gave the first one a 4 out of 10. I gave, I give this one a 2. And okay. it only... It only gets that because, again, I liked Michael Sheen's performance, so. This one gets a two. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, two. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to give it three for face punch, but no, I'll just stick with two. <laughs> two, it gets two because of face, it gets two because of face punch. Okay, that's, yeah, all right, that's fair. Well, this, so this, this movie was uh, the most fascinating film I've ever seen, you know, just, just completely enthralling. Every moment was, was high stakes. We, I love the montage of, of a a young teenage girl screaming in night terrors. That's great for, take your 11 year old to go see this movie in the theater. <laughs> yeah, there's, just there's a lot of questions I had. Yeah. Well, good news is we got a break from this because I uh, because I won't be here for the next podcast, so we'll be taking a break from Yes, we'll take a uh Twilight Detour break. And uh that's the announcement is that Lizzie and I will be taking on the next week's episode and it won't be Twilight related. Um unless you want it to be, but that's when I can talk about no, I can't because we have to do it. we have to talk about it close before I can do that. I was like, I can talk about the short the short novella companion no, novella that that Stephanie Meyer wrote, but I can't do that because that's based on Eclipse. <laughs> I also have to address um, uh, a tweet that I don't know someone who there's a there's another person who runs a social media account. I don't know who who does you know. You know, it's just, it's weird. We just gave it out there and someone else runs it. It definitely is not me who runs the social media account of Gals of Geekdom. No way. Oh, it's the, it's the demon in the corner. Oh, oh, that's, that's right. The demon in the corner. They're back. I forgot about that. It's been a while since we acknowledged their existence. God damn it. I know. She's getting angry, guys. Yeah, she's super angry. Uh, And then she's the one who is actually suggesting I don't know that that uh, that vampires suck should be on this on this watch through list. No, I re- no. no review. I refuse. <laughs> I mean, don't you want to watch the cinematic masterpiece? Vampires suck. I know you're making a joke, so I won't take offense to the fact that you called one of those one of Freeberg and Seltzer's pieces of shit a cinematic masterpiece. Me even, joking? Never. Even saying it's cinematic is a <laughs> fucking is too good for them. I watched the trailer. I'm sorry to hear. Be- because I was very curious. Um and Ken Jong's in the movie. Weirdly enough. So it's just weird how they get these comedic talent that have names to do small little roles in these films. But I did not see that film. Uh, And uh, is it weird to say that I'm actually curious about it? But I feel like I'll regret that after I watch it. You can be curious. I just don't think your curiosity should lead you in the way of 
bullshit. Yeah. I, I can tell from the trailer that they do a Lady Gaga joke. And considering I know the humor around Lady Gaga at the time, um, I'm almost 95% certain that there's a transphobic joke. Um, so. I mean, there, they, I wouldn't doubt that considering Freeburg and Seltzer's um, entire repertoire is just fucking dude bro humor. And homophobia. Yeah, I mean, awesome. disaster. I remember disaster movie had a very fucking transphobic joke. So, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't, I never saw a disaster movie. I'm I not even gonna describe. Let's just say the joke, the joke used, um, used the T slur. So that's all you need to know. <laughs> oh, it's like if, it's like if Always Sunny didn't have the self awareness to tell you that these characters are supposed to be fucking awful while using it. You guys, I saw a TikTok the other day. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I saw this TikTok. No, this is important. The Go ahead. This girl was doing is she the video. It was like sitcom characters that are um actually secretly or that are actually terrible people. And I'm like, this is always a funny observation because it's true that in any basic sitcom, your main characters, when you actually sit down and look at it, are often terrible. Right. Terrible human beings. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But she included D. From it's always um, me, and I was like, you know, that's this isn't a revel supposed to be a revelation that any of the characters on that show are bad people. Like, like this isn't like pointing out that Jim from The Office actually sucks as a person. She, we're not supposed to like her. And very specifically in Always Sunny, these characters are supposed to be terrible. Like, like exactly, like, like, like. I was on board for the joke when we were talking about, like, Friends or The Office or Parks and Rec, but, like, what? That's the whole joke, and it's always sunny. And why are you singling out D? Uh, they're as, all terrible. As, <laughs> they're not all the worst. You could have put Dennis, who's potentially a serial killer. Or am I the only one who really watches that show? No, I've seen. I, I I should watch more. I haven't seen all of it. Uh, do you think Dennis is actually a serial killer? Yes. <laughs> there's enough. There's enough evidence in the show to um to uh to to lean that way. At the very least, he's done a few, and the show knows it. And in the latest season, hints at it too. So, you know. Uh, um, I, I, speaking of dead children. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, I was, I was watching Pet Cemetery. <laughs> that was a fucking segue. <laughs> <laughs> you just rolled that bitch on through here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I need to, I need to talk about, cause I saw the remake when it came out and I thought the remake was really, really good. Oh, okay. I was actually curious because I've heard mixed. Yeah, I've heard mixed things too. I've heard some people say that it's boring, and I can see I can see where that's coming from. I wasn't bored watching it. Um, um but having yeah. I just watched the Steven the uh the original movie mm-hmm. this afternoon, and what I forgot how much 
Stephen King fat. <laughs> the remake trimmed. Because <laughs> the original movie, you know, adapts a lot from the book and that has a lot of Stephen King isms to it in the book that like, you know, tie into Stephen King's like broader supernatural universe. Yes. That he kind of has. And the new movie, I think, uh, very smartly decided to trim a lot of that out. So there aren't ghosts haunting our characters. You don't really get the sense that there's something, like, supernaturally wrong with the universe that's been, like, haunting these characters forever. Like, in the new movie, it's very much there's this one plot of evil dirt (laughs) at the top of this mountain. If you bury dead things in it, they come back to life evil. Yes. Um, really all the plot needs to work. It, wait, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't hint at the more lore based The new like, one doesn't get into the big cosmic it's it's like like cosmic Steven Universe like sources of evilness. I, I I like that, but I can understand why they would forego it for an adaptation because it mostly is a pretty standalone story as someone who's actually read the novel yeah um, I, I like the novel a lot um i do think the novel moves at a slow pace so i can totally see the um the people thinking the newer one's slow or at least any of them are slow because it is like there's it takes a lot of build-up and character kind of development you spend and, a lot of time with the characters before things start going bad and when you cut out the ghosts haunting him and you um make it like in the new one the wife's thing with her sister it's literally just ptsd the sister's literally haunting her she just has trauma from watching her sister slowly decay to death as a child would like it's and so but without all of that extra supernatural dressing where she's being haunted by her sister and the doctor's being haunted by the patient he couldn't save and stuff like that when you cut the ghost stuff out um it can make the beginning but also in the remake to kind of compensate for that they kind of move the death up sooner into the narrative a little bit they also flipped the death i do i think that that was a good i've always thought that was a good call you you think the the newer one the the daughter dying, do you think that was a better choice? Um, I think better is relative. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that it impacts you differently. Uh, my girlfriend pointed this out to me when we were watching the old one, which is that, well, when Gage dies, you get to yes. go process Ellie's grief, mm-hmm. which is good. But the thing about it is narratively, when Ellie, Gage, like, it's heartbreaking to watch this toddler die. Um, yeah. When in, Ellie, the, in the book, it is, too. Yeah. <laughs> but when this, like, six-year-old, Ellie, who, when she's got, like, she's, like, six or I think in the, in the new movie, they actually made her, like, seven or eight. Um, she has, like, a personality. And she has interests. She does ballet. She has a very specific, like, you get a vibe for the relationship and bond she has with her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it feel like more of a specific kind of loss. Beyond just a slightly more generic, a parent lost their child. 
is you get a sense of what about this child was lost as a person. If that makes sense. She just has more of a personality. Um, and so you look, can look at things like her ballet dress and her butterfly pins and stuff that she would you would see her play actively playing with with her dad and oh, it's yeah. um it's it hurts a little bit more, more i see that's it it's an interesting switch i am curious in the new film um and i feel like we get more time with her um as an undead zombie in the new film like this is they kind of move it a little bit oh because like the the, the book it doesn't happen till the very end. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like, like within the last 40 pages, maybe 100 pages, that yeah, we get it. The new movie, they you know. move it up a lot. So we actually get a couple days of this evil zombie child's... I think that works better when you're doing a, a film. Yeah. As opposed to, like, a, a novel where you can kind of, you know, get away with... Being well, a little slower to that, you know. Well, you pace your narrative for stuff like that in a movie has got to be different than how you do it in a book. It just does. Yeah, for the sure. The thing Stephen King, less so now, but back in the day, I think that was one of the things that Stephen King struggled with when it came to adaptations of his work, is why we have to change things, Stephen, so that the story can be paced well. <laughs> I I can understand his his protection of his stories, especially since a lot of his work tends to be reflective of his own trauma things, his own traumas, his own issues, his own. And I can understand feeling protective because it's like it's not just like stories that he created, but it's also like reflections of his own life. So yeah. like I can understand being like, well, especially in the Shining's case, like I get that. Like the whole thing is a metaphor for his his fear of his alcoholism leading to harming his own family. You know, in the movie taking a lot of that stuff out, I can understand him being frustrated. But I do think The Shining is be- is as a is a fantastic film. I I I just think it's yeah. I always I always hesitate to say whether I think the book or the movie is better when it comes to The Shining. I like to say that they're great, but they're different. Yeah. I think they're just in very different ways. They're different beasts, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, I've read a few King books, and, like, he is um, he is incredibly descriptive when it comes to gore. <laughs> uh, so, i never seen the original, but do they do that whole sequence where he's, he, like, tries to save someone and they die at the very beginning? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Is it gory or is it more like just kind of like? No, it's it's real bloody. Oh, it is okay. Because in the book, I there was like a moment where I was reading it and I almost got like like a little nauseous because <laughs> they describe everything in detail. I'm King, just saying. It, go King, ahead. Like, King likes his detail. Yes. Oriented writer, and he has the skill to do that. There are some writers, writers who are less skilled than Stephen King, will try to emulate the level of detail he provides, and it doesn't work because they just aren't as talented at engaging their reader. Totally agree. I mean, I've read two King books, and both of them, when they described gore, kind of made me feel a little bit nauseous. So I think that's pretty, (laughs) that's pretty successful. 
I think it's a skill to write something that brutal and make me want to keep reading it. Oh, for sure. Because I think I the other thing that bad, yeah. bad horror writing where the the right they think that if you just describe something in great detail, it it will engage me, and I'm like, no. There's a a, a balancing act to this. Yeah, no, he. Well, I don't want to make it seem like King is a is a exploitative writer. He just knows when to place it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, the other gory death that I've read that, like, actually affected me was in um, The Dark Tower, the first book. They they describe um, content warning, I guess, for violence and gore, but they describe the a car running over a child and the details of the pressure of the weight of the tire crushing and I just I'll just stop there before it gets gross, but yeah. Okay, I have to go. Oh, babysit my children, my 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 nephews. <laughs> um, I don't like that segue nearly as much. Um, but um, I love you guys. Love you too. I will talk to you love all you later. Too. You can we- find me at Lizzie Lemon Drop on Twitter, where you can find through which you can find everything else that I care for you to find. So. People who are listening, go follow. <laughs> follow Lizzie. Thank oh, you. Oh, by the way, Lizzie, did, Lizzie, did you see the news? I have an agent now. I did. I did. I did. Congrats. I'm so proud of you. I wasn't sure because there was a lot of fucking likes and I wasn't sure specifically who saw it. So. Congrats, Jazzy. Everyone send Jazzy love. Yes. Send both. All of them. All of them love. All the um, love. I will I will talk to you guys later. Lizzie, we will we will we will we will run an amazing podcast next week. But enjoy enjoy until then. I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Jazzy. Yes. I have been reading something. What have you been reading? Well, I guess listening to an audiobook is still reading, right? Is that fair? Or is it listening? Yeah. Okay. I have started Avatar The Last Airbender, The Rise of Kyoshi. Um, and uh, I am not too far into it. Um, it's a 14 and a half hour audiobook, and I'm about two hours in, something like that. Um, and I've got to say, so far, fucking phenomenal. Um, Good shit. I, 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 you know... I know you're not you 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 haven't super been feeling as we've discussed uh Cora but I can I can safely say that I think so far this is better. Good. Um, I think it's interesting. Good. I it's telling some I again, I can't really like be the deciding factor of the whole quality of the work because when you're only about 2 hours into a a 14-hour audiobook, that's only like nidging the surface of it, but I can already tell that the writing is excellent. It gives you a great sense of the characters. Um, they introduce a whole bunch of new characters, um, and they introduce a lot of things to care about with these characters. Hmm. Like, there's even a moment where I was like, it made me audibly go, aw, and then get emotional. So, <laughs> And just, just, just in this part of the book. So, um, I... I 
I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's it's really good. The it's building things. It's obviously creating a team avatar, but it's doing it in a different way than I've seen it done before. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like there's there's like familiar things you can see that they've taken kind of concept in the avatar universe and they're just building into it a little bit but they're also trying to subvert expectations you know right so um especially with like the revelation of kiyoshi being an avatar they are kind of they're kind of taking their time and really making it where you as a reader know right if you're already a fan of the books you already know this but the, it's intentionally kind of stringing along, like, even the recognition that she is a avatar. And I find that interesting. Um, so, if you, have, if, you, if you have an Audible account, it's uh, free under oh, the... Sure. the oh, sure. Yeah, if you, like, pay for the subscription or whatever, the two books in that series are, uh, are, are free. And I also know that the series also Kyoshi is bisexual, so mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to that yet. But there's some gay. Good. Which is good. It's nice to have a newer story co-created by. Um, uh, it's it's definitely Michael Dante Diaportino had a had a hand in this, but. He handed it to uh, author FCE. Um, so uh, you should definitely you should definitely check it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that's all I'll say. It's also nice to have an Asian writer like writing this novel. Hell yeah! It's that I think that's pretty that's pretty fucking cool. Um, mm-hmm. Considering it was a show created by two white dudes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if Jazzy, if you read it, we have we'll have to do a discussion on this podcast because I know we both like the Avatar universe. That'd be game. Okay, cool. Uh, That, you know, yeah. So outside of that, I have been that is my main like exciting thing that I've been pouring myself into. But I've also been watching a couple shows um balancing a few uh i'm really hooked on euphoria so far and i know i know lizzie i think lizzie hasn't seen it yet but i think we were gonna have like some sort of conversation about it on the podcast at some point but uh euphoria is a fascinating show i totally understand why it's it's uh super popular oh yeah have you been interested in that at all or no I've been interested in seeing it. I just haven't yet. Okay. Um, content wording for the show. It is quite a lot of nudity. Quite a lot. Probably more than I've ever seen in a television show. Um, <laughs> um, and it also deals with some really heavy themes that um, around sex. So if you have issues with that, it's not an easy show it's also a show about addiction i mean i've been started i've been starting to get into berserk so i think i'm good yeah i i i'm kind of as much as i'm saying for you i'm saying for the uh the listeners to our show Mm -hmm. 
Speaking of God, Berserk was actually trending today, right when I was starting to get into it. <laughs> it oh, was, really? So, um, apparently there was a Twitter post about how one particular panel that got people that's pretty has some pretty fucked up content in it because Berserk is known for like not holding back in terms of what it wants to depict. Okay. Um, but keep in mind they do this to. It's not glorifying any of this horrible shit. Berserk does it in a way that shows horrible shit be horrible. Oh, okay. So pretty much similar to Euphoria is like horrible right, shit right. be horrible. Yeah. But like but like it was it was fucked up because a lot of these posts were saying, "Oh, you have to be fucked up to enjoy this seer to enjoy this to to enjoy this franchise. The author deserved to die, which fuck off." Whoa. Holy yeah, shit. like that's bad, right? And again, you're ta- you're taking an out of context panel, not understanding that again, the fucked up shit in Berserk is portrayed as fucked up, and you are not supposed to enjoy it. I do feel like there's this media illiteracy where I think it's mostly younger people, but it's like. This thing has bad thing, which makes it bad. Right. Um, which is a weird way of depicting any sort of media because it's like, no, sometimes it's good to show the depravity, the badness. Um, like, if to it's... tell a story. like, And it doesn't mean, depiction does not mean, um, you know, it condones it in any right. way. Like, if if a person can't get into berserk because of the fuck because of how fucked up it gets, that's fine. That, yeah, that, that is a that's perfectly normal. that is a perfectly legit reason you can't get into it. But to act like people are horrible for enjoying berserk or that the author or judging the author as a terrible person, especially like, I mean, dude's been dead for well over a year at this point. Like so, it's. It's so mind-boggling how that is. That there's, like, an entire group of people who feel like... Like... Like what I said. Bad... It show bad things, so it must be bad. And that's a very simplistic way of looking at things. And it also, like, makes assumptions about the creators of these works. Because sometimes our artists put either their pain or something into their work that may be harsh. But it it's how they deal with that fucked up shit. Like, mm-hmm. like, keep in mind, I, I haven't started reading the manga. I've been mostly watching the 97 Berserk anime. Right. And and from what and from my understanding from seeing it so far and from what I've seen of general analytical videos on the manga, generally Berserk is about a person who's gone through the most fucked up shit you can imagine from a young age and basically has to deal with this constant trauma of it while constantly living in this miserable fucking world because the world of berserk is very dark it's very dour but there are moments of levity that help that help it along so is it also like it's also so it's it's not completely cynical is it no i mean from what i from what like i i watched lady emily's video on berserk um which is a really fucking good video and i highly recommend watching it um and from my understanding, the first few chapters can kind of appear cynical until you get to a certain point where you realize 
there's an entire point to it, and you really get to what Berserk is about. That's good. Sometimes I don't like work that's just cynicism for cynicism's sake, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So in the case of Berserk, the first bunch of chapters is just um, the author trying to find his ground, so... Well, of course, you have to, like, you have to place where, you know... Yeah, Kintaro, Kintaro Miura is the... I, 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 am, I do not know why I was blanking on the name of the author. I feel bad. I know with, <laughs> with manga, for example, it's that, like, you just keep... I mean, you keep making work and you keep getting better at it. You do it in, in linear order, you get, you know... I guess it's like any, any like, thing that continues on, like, as a series, right? TV right, shows and, get better, you know... Well, and yeah, from what I've seen of Berserk, it's fucked. It is very fucked up, but the fucked up shit is portrayed as fucked up, and you are not supposed to like it. Yeah, the emotions you're supposed to get from it is that this this thing is really horrible, you know? Right. It's yeah. So I will say, from what I've seen in the '97 anime so far, I'm a few episodes in. It's really fucking good. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's so fucking good. I love it a lot. The English dub. Um, it's great, but I also find it funny because a lot of this voice cast is well known for, um, four kids dubbed anime, and this is not four kids. <laughs> oh, fascinating. <laughs> um, so, but the dub for an early 2000s dub is really fucking good. Um, and while the opening and ending songs are a bit unfitting, I think the score for the actual episodes is amazing. It is such a good sh- it's a it's a good show so far. I re- I really like it and I can't wait to continue. Um but yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of the lore and stuff and look and feel of it inspired stuff like um from software games like primarily dark primarily um Dark Souls, Demon Souls and Elden mm-hmm. Ring and inspired those and Bloodborne as well. Okay. So there's a lot of in fact, um, in Elden Ring, there's a sort like because it was released after Kentaro Miura's death, um, they had a giant sword you can find that looks like the sword that the main character from Berserk Guts uses, and that was put in in honor of Miura. So that's pretty cool. I like that. I love those little Easter eggs that are tribute to people who have passed away. Mm-hmm. I think they did that in um, they did that in a bunch of games. Yeah, it's. But yeah, like, I don't know. It's weird to me that people want to, like, just have this outrage over the dark and fucked up content being dark and fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just weird that, that just people think, or don't give more nuanced takes to that sort of thing. You know, like, people just look at the surf, surface and then get offended of that. Mm-hmm. Like, oftentimes with fucked up media, there tends to be a little bit more purpose behind it. Like, as someone who's a fan of horror, I'm kind of used to people assuming that, like, oh, you like horror, you must also be, like, messed up. You know, like, and that's always a weird thing. Like, uh, no, I actually have a lot of empathy. <laughs> oh, no, it's all... It's always yeah. weird how people judge, like, can judge depending on what content you like or are a part of. I say this as a voice actor in a very um, sexually explicit yaoi game, and I've had plenty of assumptions thrown at me from for that for that role alone. Oh, I would imagine. <laughs> like, um, I remember um, Kiwi Farms said because I 
voiced in Camp Buddy and was very open about the fact that I voiced in Camp Buddy that I was a child groomer. I mean, they're going to fucking think we're groomers regardless, you know? I know, and it's like, I I know, and it's like, it's funny. Yeah, it's just, I, I don't think accusations of that of that nature are funny but i just think just basing it on the fact that i voice in something that's sex that's 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 on that level of sexually explicit which i don't fucking care <laughs> like you know like, like oh no i voice in something with very with very consensual sex in it how dare i and then you notice how they'll be performatively offended by that? Like, you know, for a fact, they're totally okay with being openly sexual. But the moment it's a trans woman, mm-hmm. you know, then things changes, right? Like, mm-hmm. but like, you know, they're going to call they're I got called a groomer because I tweet, I quote tweeted, um, I am now blanking on her name. Of course I do this when I'm on the show. But um, the creator of the Owl House. Um, Dana Terrace? Yes. Did you see that? Did you see her? Um, did you see the, like, the tweet that she made or the video that she made about the whole yeah. um, Florida? Yes, I did. Okay. So, yeah, one of the replies I got was someone's calling me a groomer. Uh because I was coach feeding and saying that, you know, as a young person uh, who, you know, when I was young, I didn't have information available to me about being trans, you know, and being queer. I didn't understand. I felt wrong. I, I hated myself. I felt weird. I didn't tell people, you know, um, and I denied it deeply. But like the very thought of. Like. The information that we have now and the more openness we're seeing everywhere is being completely fought back against to the point where Florida is attempting to ban just discussions of same-sex attraction, whether or not, like, it, no context whatsoever is right. fucking horrifying. It you is. know, like, I can't imagine the potential for pain that would cause... I know how I felt. I don't want to feel like any. I don't want anyone else to feel like I went what I went through. I'm amazed I survived it. Yeah. You know. So. I, what I, what I, my entire point is, it's fucking wild the things that people will accuse you of. Yep. You care about kids. You're a groomer. You. You voice in a openly sexual property. You're a groomer. Because a kid might accidentally stumble upon whatever you're doing. Which I make it clear very much whenever I'm talking about Camp Buddy that it is an 18 plus game. If you're not 18, don't fucking play it. These are the same people who are who are mad when there's content or trigger warnings. Right, and here, just, just just so you know. Yep, no, yeah, more or less. And here I am warning people whenever I do talk about like Camp Buddy that yeah, it is an eighteen plus property. Don't fucking play it if you're not eighteen plus or you can't handle seeing dicks. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good warning. 
it's just so wild right now, going with everything that's going on. And then, of course, of course, like, people have to make these, like, these culture war topics, you know, apply to uh, the art that we consume and attempt to do gatekeeping. Like, But that's always been there, right? Like, we've We've had this this major issue with internet hatred brewing since Gamergate, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was always there before, for sure, but it's just really fascinating and scary the way that, because of Gamergate, the way in which people were radicalized into uh, fucking bullshit ideology based on hatred. <laughs> so... There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> but I will say that fuck Disney for giving money to the politicians. Yeah. I know we had this whole conversation last time where I was I was accused of being a Disney shell. Well, oh, here's geez. me on a podcast saying fuck Disney for that. So, you know. <laughs> Jeez. If I'm a, if I'm a, I'm, I must be a really bad Disney show. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> failing at my job. Where's the money, Disney? That's the thing. I was specifically paid to always talk up your movies, and I've not received a cent. And you've promised me fifty million dollars, and I need it now. Right. Also, you should totally share that fifty million with me. Just, just, you know. <laughs> I'll give you about 20 bucks. Oh, thanks. You're so kind, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. 50. Wow. That'll pay. That'll sure pay my rent. No, if I got that amount of money, I'd share it with all three of us. Good. <laughs> yeah, I I give uh, 49 million to me. <laughs> I'm kidding. You'd get a significant portion. Divvy it out into chaltable checks for the rest of your life. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, we are currently in a, you know, in an age of the internet where we've got like multiple people trying to not only gatekeep certain properties based on immediate unchangeable qualities about ourselves that we can't handle um bigotry happening everywhere and then you have other people who just hyper focus on the smallest of shit you know <laughs> like what is berserk being violent have anything to do with anything serious like really right just just, just take i'm a huge fan of the evil dead we're both huge fans of the evil dead series and those are g- gory as shit take us away for that then yeah, like, <laughs> just, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, there's, there's a little, before we, before we, like, wrap this up, because I, I, I can tell our, you know, like, we, there wasn't too much to talk about this week besides our, 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 our love of the brilliant film that was New Moon. Um, <laughs> yeah, brilliant brilliant 
But hold on, my brain is deciding to to falter on me for a second. I'm trying to to get into the conversation that I was thinking of. Um, oh, okay. The idea that like, okay, so I I brought it up last week when I was I was kind of dogpiled for stating that I think snobbery in like film appreciation, specifically the pseudo intellectualism of of um you know certain types of film bros um using that pseudo intellectualism to like attack individuals for their taste um mm-hmm. is fucking bullshit. I think it's incredibly stupid and incredibly elitist, especially since those pseudo intellectual people tend to like have a very limited grasp of film but love to pretend they know everything because they have to posture um, of course they have to pretend right. like they know <laughs> yeah so i'm at the point where like and I, and I think lizzie actually made a great tiktok about this is that like you know um the fact that someone would like a marvel movie let's just bring that up um that doesn't inherently make them a stupid person like it doesn't inherently mean that someone excited for Spider-Man or whatnot is leading to the end of quote unquote real cinema. Mm-hmm. I always find that to be incredibly uh, reductive that you think cinema is so weak that can be toppled over by just people excited about a superhero film that that is made by a company that's constant that own. And it's what's crazy is that like these superhero films, sure, they make a lot of money, but they're, like, not even, like, a small percentage of the total of the films that come out every single year. It's, like, you know you could find independent works of film. Like, for every one Spider-Man, there's probably 200 uh, little indie films being released at the same time. That's Right, it's, not, do, it's right? not that hard. It's not that hard to find. You just got to look it up. And with the variety of like streaming services, we're seeing a lot of these smaller budget films being relegated to those streaming services, and they're more easily available than they've ever been before, which is changing the film atmosphere from being about if you wanted to see the latest little indie darling, you didn't go to your local tiny, if you even had in your city, a local tiny theater that was super shitty where the floors were super sticky that only per, only played the art films um now you can just stay at the comfort of your home and have access to them you and know? i actually i actually like a lot of the smaller theaters i've been to that only play art films <laughs> i do too i say that lovingly you know but i will say that that inherently created a, a certain divide and because you have to go out of your way to that movie theater like let's just say the normal movie goer who just wants to see a fun movie or just sees a like a movie in theaters normally without covid times would just go to their local amc or chain ones and it would mainly just play playing mostly the films from major studios right um Mm -hmm. you had to go out of your way to the small theater to see those films and those 
like you wouldn't those type of small films wouldn't get the same level of eyes or recognition essentially leading to an entire industry of people who felt that their cultural identity was based around how many small or tiny films that they see essentially the film saw right but what i'm trying to get at is a modern day with a streaming and stuff that whole process can be easily taken away and more people have more access to it like you can go to amazon pull up amazon for example i'm using it as an example um look at the films that tiny indie film can be put up right alongside the latest spider-man film Mm -hmm. that's the potential for way more eyes and way more appreciation of art of art and film in general i feel it's weird to attack others for like i don't know not for for staying they want us to keep the status quo of what they've always known it to be while the industry and the world is changing around them and it's weird because i think we all in terms of movies we all like our stu- our fair share of stupid films let's be real uh jackass is probably if not my favorite it's probably my favorite film i've seen in the theaters this year so Take that I mean, with I was, what you will. <laughs> I was rewatching last year's Mortal Kombat movie with my girlfriend the other night, and I still fucking love that movie. It's fucking dumb, but I love it. Oh, it's fun. You know, it is. If you're a fan of Mortal Kombat, it's even better. It's just like this, like this feels like Mortal Kombat. You know, it's, right? I don't get where this like hatred towards this film was coming from when it really wasn't that bad. The only thing that I wasn't as huge on was the fact that but that's just because of me being nitpicky is that i i didn't i wasn't huge on the whole like that it wasn't a tournament like yeah yeah i felt like it was weird they were building up this tournament only to say the tournament's in the sequel yeah now i was just like oh okay um but like the I, fights were the fights were fun and i got to see hiroyuke sonata as scorpion yell get over here so and he was good it was damn oh. good on that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even mind the fucking movie exclusive character they had, uh, Cole Young. I really didn't think he was that bad. So. He was fine. Like, yeah, he wasn't like, like wasn't, exemplary wasn't... for sure, but he wasn't like bad in any way. Oh no, he was fu- he was absolutely fine for a movie exclusive main character. I was expecting worse, honestly. And and at least it wasn't a white dude, right? Yeah, like, that's another thing. This cast was fairly diverse, so. Yeah, no, it it definitely had a diverse diverse cast. It was made by people who who seemed to have an appreciation of the games and the source material they were pulling from, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So, honestly, and it just made me excited for the sequel. Oh yeah, I'm I'm very hyped for the sequel. I was uh, I was sad as a fan that Johnny Cage did not appear in this movie, but I did love that this the there's a stinger about you know. Yeah. Um, and I've always felt that Ryan Reynolds would be an amazing Johnny Cage. I could see it. Do you, do you see what I, yeah, you know, someone who can handle the action and comedy needed in the character and who could easily play, you know, arrogant as fuck. Um, but I'm glad you still enjoy that movie because I enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a, it's a dumb it's a dumb action movie, and I like and I love it. It's it's a dumb action movie, and guess what? The '95 Mortal Kombat movie was also a, a dumb, dumb action, action movie, and I love that movie too. So. Me too. I love that movie so much. 
Like, I will admit, though, as much as I liked the actor for Shang Tsung in the new one, he, I don't think he holds a candle to Carrie Hu- to um, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa. I mean, he was so good and iconic that he became the Shang Tsung in the modern video game. So, mm-hmm. your Hank soul was- is mine. <laughs> so good oh my god mm-hmm. i love i love that original movie there's just a lot of like weird funny moments i love the mm-hmm. weird r- laugh that raiden does when Raid- he, yeah <laughs> when he when he like he describes like the fate of the world is in their hands and he's like <laughs> sorry <laughs> i fucking love christopher lambert as raiden he is like he's the fucking highlander playing a god that's amazing fucking fuck the haters <laughs> And chewing every scene that he's in, by the way. Like, like, like the great tournament was too much responsibility. <laughs> and it's funny watching him play it versus like how the games take it. You know, he's deep voice in the games, very serious all the time. And then I just love the movie where he's just like this weird, <laughs> like, weird kind of crazy version of the character who has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't know that I love I love the nineties film. Like Yeah. I Hell, I, I, I actually think Annihilation is also fucking hilarious. Oh, it's terrible, but it's hilarious. Like Mother, you're alive. Too bad you will die. <laughs> I mean there's a reason why that cl- that one clip is like like known everywhere you know what i mean like there's like so many line reads like that in the movie (laughs) father the the con the invasion has begun earth is under attack and it is glorious (laughs) i don't i don't i don't know if we're ever gonna get a movie that bad shit bad insane like like in major studio producing so bad it's good this was like a studio. This is like a major studio film. Right, and that's it, what I mean. Right, and it like it had a bigger budget than its previous film, which I refuse to fucking believe. I, uh, I, I guess it was really expensive to have those desert shots. Yeah, all the fucking desert. Yeah, hold on, let me look that up because I'm almost certain. Yeah, yeah, the um, the the original Mortal Kombat film had a budget of twenty million, and Annihilation had a budget of thirty million. <laughs> Explained to me by the original film looks way better. Right, it, like the original <laughs> film, it has some dated CG. It has a lot of dated CGI, but like it, like everything else looks much better than it does in Annihilation. The sets, the costumes, the. Mm-hmm. No, another bit I love is when Luke Kang's going to save Katana, and like Baraka, I think I only know his name because I play the games. Right. Swings in and attacks him, and in a delayed reaction, Katana goes, "It's a trap, Lou." okay i i have a i have a i have a thing for when twilight's done we all have to watch mortal kombat annihilation i'd be up for watching all of them honestly oh all three yeah do you want the animated films in there as well or do you want just to skip those just the live action ones just the live action ones i'd say like do them all in one podcast I haven't seen the latest animated film, but I like the first one. Yeah, I like the first one. I want to see the second one, if for no other reason than the WB logo has Ultra Instinct Shaggy. I saw that. 
<laughs> That's amazing. Right. Oh god. Try to try to think of other funny moments from MK Annihilation that I fucking love just because it's so bad. Uh no, another bit I love is when Nightwolf attacks Liu Kang in his wolf form, and there's a POV shot, and it's very fucking obvious that Robin Shu is just holding the camera and shaking it around. Oh, right, right, right. I remember that. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen that movie. It was... The animalities, it... holy shit. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Oh, I'm glad we both have an appreciation for how terrible that movie is in the oh, best way. <laughs> yeah, it's awful, but it's fucking amazing because it's so it is so garbage. Like <laughs> it is complete garbo. It's garbage, but it's the best kind of garbage, you know? It it's is. like when you're on YouTube late at night and you're watching like the best of bad line reading clips. It's definitely <laughs> one of those. Mm-hmm. And the just, film's just the film's just so incompetent because like um so I remember one moment where um Nightwolf says that in order to get your animality you have to complete three tests. He only puts Liu Kang through two tests. Really? I I've not seen that in years, so I need to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. And then they completely <laughs> forget about the third test, and then during the battle against Shao Kahn, he's able to do his fucking animality, which looks like shit. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a yeah, it's a really bad CGI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the animality is a particularly funny element because, again, Nightwolf says you need to complete three tests. Liu Kang only completes two. They go the rest of the movie without mentioning it at all until the final battle where Liu Kang's suddenly able to turn into a shitty CGI dragon. <laughs> and then Shao Kahn is also able to turn into a shitty CGI Hydra. <laughs> and they fight for less than a minute before reverting back to human form. Because it was too expensive to animate longer. Right. Even though, again, it looks like shit. <laughs> you would think a movie that did really well at the box office would get a bigger... Like you said, what, it was like $30 million versus $20 million? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had $10 million so, more million to work with than the original. Right. But wouldn't you think, like, a film that... Because I know the first one did very well at the box office. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you think they would, they would have given it, like, a much bigger budget? Like... Yeah, like, yeah, 10 so, doesn't seem like that big of an up, up, upgrade from that. Yeah, like, I mean, the first film was made on a $20 million budget and made over a, over $120 million at the box office. Right, then they could have made a sequel for $50 million. Right, they, but yeah, and this one was on a budget of $30 million and only made $51.3 million at the box office. It still made its money back. Yeah, but it was significantly less than the first one. For sure, yeah. Which is when it comes to sequels, that's that's what they tend to look at, like how they how it did in comparison to the original. Apparently, there was originally supposed to be a third one. Robin Chu did sign a contract for a three picture deal, but it not only did the second film underperform, it was eviscerated by critics and audiences. Yeah, they were like, you know what, we're good. <laughs> right. And then years later, it's now considered, like, to be as so bad as good classic, which, again, I, I agree with. <laughs> no, totally. I love so bad it's good stuff. I think we have a we have an affinity for that. Oh, yeah, Troll definitely. 2 is another one we can talk about at some point. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Troll 2? Or just I haven't. Or... I haven't. You think I would with how much I love so bad it's good material? Uh, 
that is another one on the on the list of phenomenal <laughs> phenomenal I just, shit i just uh <laughs> i just find it funny that uh <laughs> also the fact that annihilation replaced like most of its main cast and it's and considering it starts off right after the end of the first one <laughs> right and then i killed johnny cage in like two seconds right right <laughs> You're like, and then you have James Remar as Raiden, which sounds fucking awesome on paper, but he's so fucking boring. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't chew the scenery like Christopher Lambert did. Look, again, Christopher Lambert was the fucking Highlander. There can be only one, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like... Also, I think the first film just had more moments of charm, just co- like, compared to a shitty sequel, like... Again, Johnny Cage's solution to defeating this all-powerful, mighty, four-armed brute that kills everyone. Hit him in the balls. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> and the moments were funny. Like, I have to... That's the one thing that makes the first one different from the second one. Is that, like, the second one's, like, so bad. Like, it's good territory. The first one actually has, like fairly i would say like some decent performances you know yeah it doesn't feel as i don't know the two of them feels very different from each other if you get if you know what i'm getting at yeah also it's just funny when you go from the first one immediately to the second one because the first one ends with the emperor appearing you have this giant fucking cool ass creature like giant up here the emperor with the voice of frank motherfucking welker doing his dr claw voice (laughs) oh that's right (laughs) And then when you get to Annihilation, he's just a dude. <laughs> oh, I, I love the weird sequel stuff like that. Like, right. Like, uh, in a, in a, I would say in a considerably, it's a movie I never talk about, but in the transition from Evil Dead 2 to, to Army of Darkness, where it's just like, oh yeah, the budget went way up, way up, you know? Right. <laughs> So, um, we will definitely put that, put those films on our list for when we get to that. I think this podcast will have fun talking about analyzing and eviscerating the so bad it's good. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, I think at this point, uh, we've, we've went a while, uh, it's probably best that we, uh, I think this is reaching the end of our show (laughs) for this week. Um, Mm -hmm. I couldn't get that sentence out of me for the life of me. I'm sorry about that. Um, but uh, would you like to plug where where everyone can find you, Jazzy? You can find me at Lady Jazzington over on over on Twitter, as well as the same on uh, Twitch.tv. We're in a bit of hiatus because I'm taking a trip um, the day after we're recording this to Dallas. But um, we'll be back soon enough um, getting back on Kingdom Hearts 2. You can also find me on... You can also find me on YouTube under Jazzy Oliver. And I am Crystal Williams. You can read my Medium articles if you Google me or look on my profile on Twitter at Crystal W Rocks. And you can follow me there um, where I do things and make shit posts and make genuine like emotional posts. So 
I don't know. Follow me there if you like. I will also promote this podcast there, of course. So, um, but thank you again for listening to another episode of the Galaxy Geekdom podcast. Uh, we love having you. Obviously, as stated again, next week will not be a Twilight episode. It will be a regular episode with me and Lizzie taking the reins, and it's going to be a blast. Um, but the week after that, we're getting back into Eclipse. So be on the lookout for Eclipse. Um, ah, this might be a perfect time if you have been listening and you haven't seen like the Twilight movies as we've been going. It would be awesome if you guys could like watch Twilight and New Moon and be caught up for the next time. Um, and then maybe we can have some engagement with that. Give us your thoughts on it. Uh, I would absolutely love that. And they are available all for free on Pluto. So Suffer with us. Suffer with us and have a little bit of fun. Uh, until next time, though, I'm Crystal, and this is the Galaxy Kingdom Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.